Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Good evening. So, okay, we're speaking today from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12. I'm not speaking like the Queen and saying we're speaking today. I mean, all of us who are speaking today are using this scripture. And it goes like this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And this, this is a really salient verse, this next one. In everything, treat others as you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. And whenever Jesus speaks about the law and the prophets, he's speaking about our entire belief system. So one of the challenges of being a Jesus follower is the contradictory nature of Scripture. Because here Jesus says that our Father loves us so much that he wants to give us good gifts and all we have to do is ask and seek and knock. But we all know what it is to ask and seek and knock until our knuckles are bloody and not end up with the answers that we were looking for, right? Or am I that only person? But Ruth Graham, um, who was married to Billy Graham, said, God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. Our confusion over this scripture has a lot to do with our ignorance of the backstory. Because the Western society has a Greek mindset, which is a way of thinking that categorizes everything. So we read these six verses as standalone, even in the chapter that they're in, they're under their own heading. And so, but it's not like that as it was written in the original. And so we read it as unconnected from the rest of what was being talked about, which was the Sermon on the Mount. It was an entire day that Jesus spent on the mountaintop talking to people who wanted to know from him how they could live a better life. But we see it as a heavenly soundbite about persisting in prayer and hang in there, stay focused and we'll get what we want. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was a Jew. That means he was a Middle Eastern man and he was talking to a Middle Eastern audience and everything flowed out from that mindset. So. Each part works within and upon the other parts. So people went to spend the day with him so that he can teach them and he tells them that following him is a narrow road and it's not for the faint-hearted and they know that what he's saying is how they live in each part of their life will impact how they live in all the other parts of their life. It belongs within a larger context. So if you read the Sermon on the Mount and see some of the other things that he talked about, and I'll just mention a few of them, having a clean eye and not showing off your donations to increase your status and forgiving and getting the log out of your own eye before you start dealing with anybody else's stuff and how you treat with your spouse, work together with this part of prayer because how we live 
dictates how we pray. And so what we focus on dictates what we ask for and what we seek. What we focus on comes out of who we want to impress, how fearful or ashamed we are and of what. And that dictates what doors we'll knock on, how much we need safety or superiority or comfort or acceptance or applause will affect what we look for and what doors we knock on. So Jesus' brother, James, gives a bit of an explanation of the intricacies of this. In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, you don't have because you don't ask, and that's another whole set of things to talk about, but you ask and don't have because you ask with evil intentions to waste it on your own cravings. Now, we crave to be valued. We crave safety. We crave acceptance and the feeling of belonging. And it's very easy for those needs to shape our prayers. In fact, they do. But the backstory is found with Adam and Eve. Now, they used to love their dad visiting them every afternoon in the garden. He would come and he would talk to them about the issues that they were faced with and how their life went, and he would explain to them what they needed to know about their lives. So everything they needed to know, he would teach them. But after they took up Satan's suggestion, which was about the fact that they could work out the difference between good and evil for themselves without God having to tell them, something appalling happened, which they hadn't expected and they hadn't factored into the equation. The reason that God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because he wanted to spare them from the awful pressures that come with decision-making. And I'm just going to give you one example, and it's a very, just one example, but you have all your own examples. We know that um, the people in the Amazon, they need work. Some of their work comes because they're logging the trees and Some of them get to drive the trucks with all the logs on them and then they get taken to certain places and they get, you know, they get um, worked on and then they get turned into furniture and it's cheap furniture. So we in the West who need good cheap furniture that we're going to put on Facebook sales in three years' time, we can buy those, that furniture and, and so everybody, you know, it's good for everybody, isn't it? Right. It's good for the loggers. It's good for um, the truck drivers. It's good for the furniture makers. It's good for the people who buy the furniture. But, and so that's good. But the other side of it is that the Amazon jungle is the lungs of the earth, of the planet. And as it's being decimated and more and more hundreds of thousands of acres are being destroyed, our well-being is under severe threat. So that's bad, right? So now we've got these terrible decisions that we have to make over anything. What's more good or what's more bad? And so, you know, God wanted to keep his people from having to face those kind of pressures. But the first time that Adam and Eve ever felt negative emotions began from that point when they took on for themselves the determination to decide what was good or bad. So they looked at each other and they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. Now they'd always been naked. They were created naked. 
but they weren't ashamed before. And suddenly shame comes on these people and they're so weighed down by shame that they try to cover themselves any way that they can. And then the second thing that happened was that God comes walking in the garden like he always did and instead of them running to him and saying, Dad, you're here, or Dad, we're in trouble, we've just done the wrong thing, instead of doing that, the Bible says that they were afraid because they were naked, although God had made them naked. And so they hid. And so the third thing that happened was that they had to leave that beautiful paradise that God had made for them because they were no longer perfect and they couldn't stay. And so this unholy trinity took place at that point. Shame and fear and rejection became part of their lives. So in taking on that horrendous responsibility of working out for themselves what was good and what was bad and what was right and what was wrong, they unwittingly absorbed this unholy trinity of shame and fear and rejection along with all the subcategories like arrogance and pride and cheating and lying and self-pity and consumerism and all the other things. They took it all on. So they not only experienced those emotions daily, but they began to wield them as weapons against each other. And that became a pivot point of all cultures, Christian or not. And many prayers were unconsciously, and many prayers are unconsciously and unknowingly shaped by those characteristics. And in that way, the gospel can be weaponized and prayers can be weaponized as well. So that's why Ananias and Sapphira made a big deal out of their financial gift and they pretended that they'd given everything they received when actually what they gave would have been enough. Nobody was saying to them, give everything you've got. But for whatever reason, they needed to to put forward something that wasn't true. That's why Judas betrayed the master that he had followed for three years. It's the reason that Paul asks the question in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, he asks the Galatians why they so quickly turned from a gospel of grace and defaulted to following rules and people-pleasing. It's why Christians thought that it was the right thing to take Indigenous children from the families in the nations that they conquered and told them they couldn't use their own language and put them in institutions so that those people could learn to be domestic servants. It's why one branch of the church burned another branch at the, of the church at stake at the stake because they were teaching their children the Lord's Prayer or they were baptizing people as adults. It's that terrible thing. It's why the Emperor Constantine decided that God had told him to go forth and conquer the world with a sword using the cross as a catalyst. And that's how Christendom was formed out of Christianity. That's how Christendom became the religion of the day. From that point on, every soldier had to convert to become Christian just overnight. You're not following any of those other gods anymore. This is now your God. From that point, anybody who wanted to stay on the right side of their government converted to become, Christ, uh, to become Christian. And Christendom emerged out of that kind of 
understanding. No one pointed out to Constantine that Jesus called us to take up our cross every day and not our sword. Jesus didn't conquer people. He conquered death. The, the reason he came was, he says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. And the works of the evil one were triggered that day in the garden when they took on the right to choose from within their cultures and from within what they believed what was right and what was wrong instead of hearing from God directly. So but Jesus didn't force his way of life on anybody. He just said, follow me. He says, follow me, learn to live as I live, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Christendom and the way of Jesus are diametrically opposed. One finds its root in shame and fear and rejection, and the other finds its root in love. And our asking and seeking and knocking revolve around which we are steeped in, whether we're steeped in Christendom or whether we're steeped in follow, being followers of the way. So it takes time and it takes a revelation of the cross of Christ to realize how much we are influenced by that unholy trinity. And then it takes courage to discard it because so much of our culture is built around shame and fear and rejection. And we have more sophisticated names. We, you know, we call fear being sensible, for example. We, we, we have a lot more sophisticated names for those three things, but everything stems out of them. All the, all the pain and all the difficulties of the way we live our lives stem out of shame and fear and rejection. And for centuries, Christendom has used shame and fear and rejection as the means to reinforce the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. When we absorb the radical message, the impact of what Jesus said when he stood on the, on the, on the mountain and gave that day-long sermon, there came the opportunity to see that there is a different way. We become more equipped to deal with the shame that is inflicted on us and which we inflict on other people. The fear that we feel deep down that we're not enough or that we won't have enough. And that fear which just forces its way out to the people around us. The rejection that we're so afraid of and yet which we wield ourselves with such terrible effect on each other. And as we recognize and begin to deal with that unholy trinity in our lives, what happens is that we begin to pray differently because shame and fear and rejection are gradually eradicated from the way that we live and we become freer to live by hearing clearly from our Father, by hearing clearly what the Holy Spirit's saying, by, by our relationship with Jesus Christ deepening. And the more the more that happens in us, the more what we pray is changed. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, when I was younger, and I've even heard preachers say this, by the way, back in the day, that what that meant was, if the, if the desires of my heart is a red Porsche, 
if I can just love him enough, I can walk out there to the car park and there'll be a red Porsche right there waiting for me. Or in my case, who don't care about cars, it will be a first edition copy of Pilgrim's Progress, for example, right? But it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean if you can just love him hard enough, he'll give you everything you want. It's not like that. It's that if we will make him the delight of our lives, gradually within us we change. And instead of wanting all those things that we used to want, they just gradually drop away and we find ourselves wanting what he wants us to want. And he wants us to want those things because he created us for a certain purpose and he wants us to want the things that will lead us in that direction. And so if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will, he will be able to place into our hearts the things that he wants us to desire and it'll be just so much more easy. And so asking and seeking and knocking just, just becomes a flow through of how we changed. Christendom uses shame and fear and rejection to reinforce what religion considers to be right behaviour. Jesus uses love. So the difference between citizens of Christendom or followers of the way is massive. According to 1 John 3 verse 8, the one who says that they will know we are Christians by the way we love people, he says, it says there that he, his very purpose in coming to earth was to destroy the works of the evil one. The works of the evil one are to do with shame and fear and rejection, those things that were triggered when we took that first step away from relying on God to be able to speak into our hearts about what is right and what is wrong. And so those all-consuming feelings were triggered when humans believed the lie that reserving for ourselves and also for each other the right to say this is what's going to work, you should, do, you should do it like this, when we thought that that would benefit us. The newsflash is that it has not benefited us. We're changed when we read the Sermon on the Mount and we ask God help to live it out and as we're changed, our prayers change. So we no longer pray what we've decided is good for me or for them. We pray the purposes of God to be manifest, which is why praying the scriptures or praying in tongues is so helpful because when we're doing that, shame and fear and rejection don't get a look in. And so in that last verse, Jesus tells us to treat people as the way you know, we would like them to treat us. He says to do that will fulfill everything that we believe. Now, when I first became a Christian, I was already married. I quickly went into a church that actually turned out to be a cult. And so it was very controlling and it was, there was a whole lot of stuff that was wrong with it and that's another story. And I was there about seven years and I was fully invested. I really put everything that I had into it until, you know, gradually the Lord helped me see that we were living in Christendom and we weren't living as followers of the way and, and he rescued us out of it. But, you know, I was praying then. We came out of it and I, used to, I was praying and God was answering my prayers. I was so cranky. I was so angry. And I can still remember being a young mum standing, doing the washing up at the sink and saying to the Lord, now you're answering my prayers. Oh, yes, now you're answering my prayers. All these years, 
I've been saying to people that they only have to pray and God will answer their prayers, but you've never been answering any of my prayers and now you're answering my prayers. And I felt like the Lord said to me on the inside, like he didn't yell at me. He just was nice about it. But he didn't mind me yelling at him. So just as long as you know that. So he said to me, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. And I'm like, I've been abiding in you for seven years. I've been abiding in you. I've been doing all the right things. I've been at church all the time. I've been all the things that I've been doing. And back again came this gentle answer. No, you were abiding in, I won't give you the pastor's name, but you were abiding in that pastor and that pastor's word was abiding in you. And so therefore nothing that you were asking was within the the remit of what I wanted to give. And that was more than 30 years ago. But I have never forgotten that because we all appreciate each other. We appreciate what each other has to contribute. We appreciate the teaching and the wisdom that comes from each other. It's, it's fantastic and it's wonderful. But the baseline of our faith has to be my relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to be first. If I'm not relating with him first and primarily to understand how I should live, then I'm going to start to live in a way that says, I don't want to feel embarrassed because I'm not doing it the way you do, so I'm going to do it the way you do and I'm going to say it the way. And then when, when people start fear-mongering, I, you know, I'm going to buy into the fear-mongering because, because I've lost the ability to draw from the love that Jesus has given me that will eradicate fear. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? It's an incredibly important thing because the thing about working out how to live in the grace Jesus talks about is about each one of us becoming personally responsible for our own walk. None of us can accuse the others of using that unholy trinity against us and therefore we can use it back. There's none of us, there's nobody that hasn't been hurt within the church because the church is full of people. But none of us can say, oh, they did that to me and therefore I'm free to go and do whatever the heck I want to do. No, because each one of us is responsible before God to do what God is speaking into our lives to do. And if they do or don't do what Jesus is saying, it doesn't have the relevance in the same way as whether I do what I know Jesus is saying to me. So if Jesus is saying to me, love, love there, if Jesus is saying, accept there, if Jesus is saying, pour out your life in that place, and I ne- all I need to say to him is, Lord, give me the love to give. You know, give me the capacity to give. I don't, I don't have to say, well, I don't know if they really deserve it because they live differently than me. We don't get to decide who is worthy of the love and who isn't worthy of the love. It, it's, that's not one of the things that Jesus gave us the right to do. And anyone in relationship with Jesus is on their own journey on that straight and narrow road through that gate. And regardless of what others do or say, I can't use Christendom, their Christendom, to excuse my Christendom. So you giving me a hard time, I'm going to give you a hard time back. I can't do that. I've got to keep hearing from Jesus and keep living that way. I have to ask and seek and knock for however long it takes so that God can show me 
because we think that ask, seek, and knock is just to do with the fact to do with the Porsche. Lord, I want the Porsche, or Lord, I want my family to, you know, to be better, or I want a better job, or whatever. We think it's about this is what I want, Lord. Can you give it to me? But ask, seek, and knock is far wider than that, because we are in a world now that is more changed than any at any other time in the world. And there were questions that the church could answer 15 years ago or 20 years ago and say, this is the answer and that's all there is to it. We can't say that now. We're fronted with so many completely complex issues and we need to be asking and seeking and knocking to find out what God thinks about those things. It's not just about getting our prayers answered. It's about what does the Lord think about this thing so that I know how to address it in my life. Asking, seeking, knocking is far bigger than, Lord, I want my husband to become a Christian. Or, Lord, and I'm not saying don't pray that because I prayed it myself for seven years. So I'm not saying don't pray that, but I'm saying it's a lot bigger than asking for a specific thing. Ask, seek, knock is about finding out what God thinks about any given thing at any given time. And so that is what makes all the difference because how we pray is highly significant. And the deeper our relationship with him, the more effective our prayers become. We don't have to bruise our knuckles on the door. We can knock and then we can wait. And I know for myself there's been a lot of questions that I've asked the Lord and gradually I'm gaining understanding on the answers, but I don't have the answers yet. And the knock and ask and seek, what revolves around that is the willingness within the Christian to wait and be able to say, I don't have an answer yet. I'm just sitting in this middle place waiting until I can understand. And that's all right as well. In fact, it's far better to be able to do that than it is to say, this is the answer. I heard that 15 years ago when I first started going to church and nothing's changed since. Because the difficulty is often we think that what we believe as church, in inverted commas, is the final that God isn't going to say anymore. But every generation, the Lord just keeps talking. And we need to be willing to keep listening. And if that means I don't have an answer right now, that's okay not to have an answer. So our trust in him becomes the conduit through which answers come. And within that, as we allow ourselves to be changed by the whole of his teachings, not just a little bit here and there. So I've come to understand that if my prayers are triggered by shame or fear or rejection in me or in someone else, it's Christendom at work. I'm not following the way. Christendom deforms Christianity. It stunts it and it twists it and it makes it the same as every other world religion. And that's a counterfeit of the way because the way is different. And I want to say many times I've slipped into Christendom. Many times I've lived there. Like I've spent years in Christendom at different times. It's very, we all do that because we all really want a straight answer so that we can just go ahead and do the job. But the Lord wants us to be asking him every day what he thinks. Christendom wants to tell us how to vote. And it wants to make blanket statements about current news and about other people. But following Jesus Christ means asking him what he thinks about 
what's going on and then waiting to hear rather than defaulting to whatever my culture, even my Christian culture says about that. So that's an aspect of asking and seeking and knocking too. And it takes a lot of courage to shake off what we've always been told that a Christian should think and find out what Jesus thinks. Whenever we see the incongruity between the culture and the love of Jesus, ask, seek, and knock becomes our responsibility. Constantine used the church to eliminate all opposition, which is completely alien to what Jesus teaches us. Because the way of of Jesus is love. And that is reinforced repeatedly in his life. Paul says, when it's all over and done with, Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And then he says, but really, out of all of those, the greatest is love. And for us to understand that shame is the opposite of love and fear is the opposite of love and rejection is the opposite of love. The more clearly I understand what Jesus said about love, the more, and what he said on the Sermon of the Mount about all this different stuff that I've got to try to work out, how to get the strength from him to be able to do, the more enabled I am to pray with a deep awareness and trust in God that I will receive bread and not stones and fish and not snakes when I pray. But the more I understand who Jesus is and his call to love, the more I'm able to pray for other people as well to receive bread and not stones from the church and from the Lord and from the people, to receive fish and not snakes. The more I understand his call to love, the more able I am to treat other people the way I hope that they would treat me, to pray for them like I would hope they'd pray for me. And then Jesus says, which is totally amazing, All of the whole thing, everything that we do about our belief system, all the law and all the prophets hangs on whether I'm able to treat you in the way that I would like you to treat me. And this is the thing about that. That is wonderful. It's wonderful. It's also totally unexpected. None of us really ever think that our entire belief system hangs on that it's an astonishing thing it really needs something so father yeah lord we pray and we see that we've got such a long way to go and lord we we see that we have worked sometimes really fluidly in christendom instead of being followers of the way but yet lord you see our hearts and you see that that Being in Christendom doesn't keep us out of relationship with you and it doesn't keep us out of heaven, but it does make our walk meaner and weaker and more bleak. And what we want, Lord, is the joy that comes from being followers of the way. So, Father, I pray that you would help each one of us catch it and see when we're shaming somebody else or when we're feeling shame and we change our our actions because we're feeling shame or fear or rejection. Lord, that you would help us be a people who love and serve you 
and walk on that narrow way with joy. Even dance on it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.